Good morning, everybody. So good to see everybody here. How about that weather? We were outside yesterday, you know, out and about. I've never seen so many people out and about. My, my son and I went on a bike ride. We ran, in, we ran into Mark and Adam Dawson. We ran into Joe Spann. Uh, oh, there's, I was going to make fun of him because his daughters are here. But yeah, I mean, I just noticed how many different braces are on your legs. You're like the bionic man as you're running. I, I appreciate that. You're a tough man. Um, yeah, it's just everybody is out and about in this gorgeous weather. How about those golden eagles? Yeah? Come on, right? Right. I, I, I'm not a huge basketball fan, but I am right now. We, we were just going crazy on Friday. So 6.45 tonight. I still don't know how to watch it on television. It seems very complicated, but somebody can tell me tell me after the service. A um, couple of things I want to say before we get going. Um, one is, uh, let's talk about masks. Let's go ahead and get triggered right away. Um, if you're wondering what we're doing here, you know, there's kind of this awkward thing between the state and the city. You know what I'm saying? Uh, we're trying to honor the city, so that's why we're wearing masks in here. But if you feel very strongly about it, don't worry about it. You can call the governor or something. I don't know what to say about that. But I feel like we're edging into this place where we're going to feel a little better about all this stuff. But we're just trying to be thoughtful about everybody. I know that there are all kinds of opinions. They end up in my email inbox, in email inbox on a regular basis. So I just, you know, type them to yourself. I'll probably, you know. You know, it's even happening now as people are leaning over their phone. The other thing is this, is because of COVID, we, we, we used to give offerings at this time, you know, and we don't do that. So it's easy to forget, I guess. I just keep, I want to remind you this, is that there's, there's tithing envelopes on the tables there that you can use and give. Um, I think there's boxes, is that right, on the way out of the doors? Here's the deal. Here's why I'm asking, uh, saying this. Of course, we appreciate your giving, but you cannot get out of the habit of giving away your stuff. Don't give it here if that makes you feel funny. If you feel like it's a weird pitch and we're doing something weird, great. Don't give it here. But give your stuff away, especially in these seasons where we're not sure what's going on. The fastest way to undercut fear about having enough is to give. It's the fastest way to do it. So I, I, I encourage you. I, I've, I learned it from my grandpa and then my parents. And I've done, it's just a regular thing I do as part of my family because I know I can. He has never failed me. I promise you, he's never failed me. And I've never had a job that ever was supposed to make any money. I didn't think that through when I went to college. You know, but God's always given us more than enough. So please, please, please don't, don't forsake that wonderful discipline. It's for your good and your blessing. So. As many of you know, if you've been here before, but if you're, if you're new, I like to always to do some review. Um, first of all, I work here. I'm one of the pastors here. Roger's one of the pastors here. We have a wonderful friend from, with 24-7, Lisa Coons, you're going to learn more about here in a little bit. But what we've been talking about is living the lifestyle of Jesus. What would it look like to live, live life as it was meant to be lived? And the conclusion we've come to is that Jesus lived that life. And so, not only has he uh, given us an example of how to live it out, but he's given us the power to do that. And so, we're talking about what does it look like to live out the lifestyle of Jesus, do the stuff he did. And so, we see that there's things in his life, disciplines, 
that he did to enable him to live fully human life, hearing the Father and doing what the Father does. And we say the word discipline, that can be kind of off-putting, but what it's this idea of practicing something. Of practicing something, especially in the times when it's not demanded of you, so that at the moments when it is demanded of you, you can actually do it. So we talked last week about loving neighbors, loving enemies. That's hard stuff, right? And it's really hard in the moment of trigger, isn't it? Right when the person's saying, you're insignificant, or you're wrong, right? I mean, the trigger is, right in the moment. So, does everybody know what we were practicing last week? We were practicing, anybody want to tell me what we were practicing last week? Pause, and pause between what and what? Between trigger and response. In other words, we, we, it's developing this ability to notice when you're being triggered, meaning your emotions are coming up, and before responding, pausing with Jesus. It can just be just seconds long, but be trigger and response that enables us to hear what's true from God, that I'm safe and loved. No matter what I feel right now, Jesus is the one who's decided this. I'm safe and loved, and I can respond with his help in the lifestyle of Jesus. So the thing we want to do is practice that when the stakes aren't that high over and over again. Make sense? When someone cuts you off in traffic, the stakes are not high. It feels high. It feels like something egregious and injustice that is of cosmic significance has happened when I get cut off. It's not true. Wait on that trigger. Enjoy Jesus and then respond out of that. Okay? So, here's what's really cool. Today, this wasn't something we had originally planned because uh, I didn't actually know Lisa was coming to town until about a week and a half, two weeks ago. And so, Roger, as you know, Roger pastored as the lead pastor at Believers for 20 years, 19 years. And so, you know, a year and a half ago, closing in on two years ago, we, we launched him to continue to do this stuff with 24-7 prayer he's been doing around uh, the nation, around the world. If you didn't know this, Roger's actually coaching other churches around the United States, other people. Um, people are cluing into that he's like probably the greatest pastor who's ever lived. And so there's leaders who are coming to him saying, what do I do? I'm dying. And so, so one of the fun things is one of Roger's colleagues over the years has been Lisa Coons. And Lisa's been to Believers. Everybody remember when Lisa was here a couple of years ago? Yeah, 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 yeah. So a lot of love for Lisa. But Roger, why don't you, inter- since your, yeah, yeah. your colleagues, introduce her. Amen. It's a great joy to um, be sitting with and next to Lisa to introduce her. For those of you who are new to the community, uh, 24-7 prayer is an international movement of prayer, mission, and justice that was launched in 1997, the same month and same year as uh, IHOP in Kansas City. Uh, so we've seen some modern prayer movements get launched, inspired by the Moravian prayer movement that uh, was a nonstop prayer movement of over 100 years that launched uh, one of the greatest mission movements in the earth, right? So... We've been uh, journeying as a church. We're a part of that, if you don't know that. But um, So when I first began, uh, we started hearing stories coming out of Charlotte, North Carolina, about this, this Charlotte 24-7 prayer house and prayer room and, and this wild, 
crazy apostolic woman named Lisa Coons, and we kept hearing about her, and she kind of adopted us before we adopted her. She's like, I like this 24-7 prayer stuff. I'm just going to do it. So she started a citywide prayer room, has stewarded a beautiful, probably one of the most creative, amazing spaces in it for a city that's open to the city to steward prayer, to steward mission, to steward justice. She runs uh, all kinds of wild, crazy initiatives that deal with everything from human trafficking to racial reconciliation. And so over the years, Lisa and I have uh, become friends and um, and just enjoy Lisa has sat in the position as national director over prayer and uh, helping steward prayer rooms, houses of prayer, prayer initiatives, helping churches create a culture of prayer and discipling prayer. So this gal uh, is up way before any of you are scheming and dreaming, thinking of prayer initiatives and ways to get the church praying. And so, Lisa, we are so glad you're here. And... Uh, why don't maybe you just begin, um, because that's really part of your heart is help catalyzing prayer. I know there are many things in your heart, but it's been it's been a year. It's been a wild year. Uh, and, you know, what are some of the ways that um, as you have kind of gallivanted around the U.S. and been involved in what's happening that you're seeing uh, some significant things that might just be a testimony of what God's doing in prayer. Um, I love the church, particularly when she gets excited about uh, the coming together of these these symbolic images and numbers and meanings and events and and how excited she was as we were moving toward 2020. It seems like every prophet and intercessor or person of prayer had an idea about what God was going to do using the 2020 imagery. Clearer vision, clearer sight, you know, it's just all over social media. And frankly, I kind of dug that. You know, I'm not mad at the church when she goes like that. I, I really liked that. It sort of got everyone's hopes up to expect God to do a thing in his people and a thing called clearer vision, well, there's no way that that could be bad. And as COVID hit, which was the first um, upheaval, as COVID hit, um, there was less talk about clear vision and more talk about, okay, okay, this, we're in a timeout. It's probably not going to be long. We were, we were still in that delusion. It's probably not going to be long. We can, we can hunker down. And since we're hunkering down, you know, let's think about how, how we need to reset some things. You know, what do we need to pay attention to? Because when you encounter a pandemic, um, you, there's two things people think about followers of Christ especially, they think, oh, this is bad. There's no way God could be in this. Let's start praying against it. And they also think, I don't know, maybe God might want to leverage. This is pretty significant. There's no way God could not be in this in some way. Maybe we should, you know, get our hearts right with Jesus just in case, you know, these two things. (laughs) And so when the pandemic hit, um, the Google search for the word prayer went up to its highest numbers since Google was tracking themes like prayer when COVID hit. 
It didn't matter if you were a follower of Christ, a not a follower of Christ, a member of other religions. People were Googling how to pray. Effective. <laughs> that was adorable. Anyway. <laughs> So there was this social upheaval as we all were sent to a time out and sent back to our, our families and back into our homes. In the, in the last year, there was this profound oh, upheaval for the church as she had to explore new ways to do church and new ways to be the church. And there was some scrambling to figure that out. And, and there was upheaval around issues of racial righteousness as as the boy George died in the streets and it sparked a movement to invite people to pay attention to this issue of racial injustice. There was an upheaval on the political front as, as, as there was great polarization in the church and in the nation at large around political issues and around this concept of nationalism. We have been in a season of social upheaval, of church upheaval, of racial justice upheaval, and political upheaval. <laughs> you know, that's a lot. Okay, I admit. That's a little bit. <laughs> and how like God to, to answer this, this idea of, I'm going to clarify your vision. How like him to shine a light on these significant arenas and invite us not just to endure it until things go back to normal, but invite us to take a look at these things where we sort of assumed our, what our understanding of what is right and wrong and what it, what it looks like along these arenas, to take a look at them again and see if the Lord is inviting us to have clearer vision, different vision, look at it in a different way, embrace a different perspective. How like God to respond to the 2020 imagery by sending us through a year of trouble and upheaval. And so, obviously, prayer has, since that initial Google search started to spike, it has continued to be, you know, something that is on the rise as, as people are trying to discover how to integrate prayer into what they are living, uh, the type of uh, society that they're living in. Now, I, I know that I'm a person of prayer, but I, I sort of am like Pete Gregg. I'm not a person of prayer because I love to pray. I'm a person of prayer because God is so good and he's super smart. You know, he's just, you're walking around with the smartest person you'll ever meet hanging with you. And so prayer becomes this, uh, this conduit to carry the quality and the intimacy of our relationship and friendship. It becomes the conduit to receive access um, from his heart, his mind, and his will, just accessing his knowledge, his counsel, his wisdom, his understanding. Prayer becomes this, this conduit to, to, for him to surge his, his missional grace from where he sits out into my world as I partner with him to do goodness revolutions in, in all of these particular arenas. And so while the church was scrambling to figure out how to be in this season, she was also learning new ways to pray. I'm not sure if I answered your question, yeah. and I can wax on, so you better yeah. stop me. So there we were in the midst of it, and I, I like how the church's the churches in rare unity 
uh, in cities, churches started to unify around praying these two things. Let's get rid of COVID. And just in case God's, you know, leveraging this, let's you figure out how to get Jesus to take the wheel in our personal lives. You know, we, uh, we, we went into prayer with these great, flatten the curve, Lord Jesus. You know, we cursed this virus in Jesus' name and the intercessors were really going after it. And we were praying really simple prayers to just knock that thing out. And at the same time, we we're like, you know, Lord, reorient our priorities, reorient our heart. I'm sorry about cussing at the driver who cut me off. You know, mm-hmm. I want to get better at that, Jesus. Help me with my patience. And, you know, unbeknownst to us, we were headed toward the out, the outskirts of what would, what, what I think will eventually lead to a kind of revival um, that is visible on the surface. So this particular upheaval, it got us dealing with issues of our heart, dealing with priorities. It sent us back to our families and our communities, reorient us back around relationships where we had to be intentional around it. It had us paying attention to our neighbors. Can we leave something on their door? Is there anything you need? I know you're in lockdown. Can I get you something? It had a missional effect. Even on the, the most introverted among us, we started looking out for our neighbors, not because planes that flew into buildings, but because a virus we couldn't see came into town. And so we can't be completely mad at a pandemic, this thing that we've only really read about in scripture. And God is, he's redemptive. He leverages everything. Even some of the crazy works of the enemy, God is about leveraging it and using it for redemptive purposes. And so this has been a crazy season but it has also been a sifting and a purging and a purifying season for the church, one that is greatly needed, and she's still in the middle of it. That's good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> if you haven't noticed, Lisa's like a poet, and it just kind of rolls. You know, that's so beautiful. Well, one of the things, I and I asked Lisa, we talked earlier this week, if we could talk about this, because um, I know it's heavy lifting for you at times, to always have to talk about racism. and But I'm so intrigued about what God is up to. So Lisa was in Minneapolis leading a prayer event when George Floyd was killed. You were there. I was there a few days after. A few days after. Okay. You went specifically for Okay, okay, there you go. So you were right there. So you've been at ground zero, so to speak. And we've seen a whole lot happen. You know, and as you said, I... I have had this sense that graciously, but also uh, without apology, Jesus has been helping me. Um, and I believe our community and the church in the U.S., I believe, to get clearer vision about this issue of racial. I love the phrase racial righteousness. That's so beautiful. So beautiful. So I'm interested to know your perspective. We're this far in. And, you know, the George Floyd trial is in the middle of the deal. Uh, stuff with Asian Americans has been happening. So, so, we're just up in arms. But like you said, we know there's brokenness and sin that's happening. There's all kinds of perspectives. But God is running the world. He's doing just fine. So, Lisa, what are the few things, what are just a few of the things you think God is doing in us as his church around racial righteousness in this season? Um, well, 
the church has always had a profound call to be on the front lines of mercy and justice, on the front lines in the darkest places and the most broken places. The church from Genesis to Revelation has always had a clarion call to not just love God, but to love mercy and do justice as well. Even God's own throne sets on a foundation of not just righteousness, but righteousness and justice. And so when the people of God were called, it called Israel in the Old Testament, and when they're called the body of Christ in the New Testament, the call has remained the same, to be people who are voices for the voiceless, who speak out for the oppressed, who ally and practice sacred activism among people who, who are being marginalized. This is scripture. This is Jesus. Jesus is justice. He comes to make all things right, beginning with our heart and our souls, and then it pushes out of our flesh, out into the world that we live in. We've always been called to be people who, I can't remember which person said this, but he said, some want to live within the sound of a chapel bell, but I want to build a house within a, in a, a yard of hell. The church has always been called to stand in these places. And as an African-American, I recognize that although predominantly led by a black man, Frederick Douglass, that it was the movement of the church that started the abolition movement that ultimately resulted in the freedom of my great-great-grandparents. It was the church's movement, the, the followers of Christ who, even in the midst of what was normal, what was culture, they identified something wasn't right took the first hits and the first battering, pushing against uh, socioeconomic structures that were not in favor of conversation of what it could look like differently. And they stood and they prayed and they worked and they talked to the saints and they talked to the politicians to put pressure on it to create a dialogue in political systems that led to the freedom of my people. It's the church that did that. And since those days to, till then, the churches held this extraordinary revelation of being leaders and building hospitals and churches and libraries and being leaders in, in community movements, the Salvation Army, just on the front lines in terms of serving the margins. Even the civil rights movement that took my people up uh, closer toward greater freedoms was a result of the movement of politicians know of the church taking her place. Now, it wasn't the church universal or church mass, but it was enough of the church willing to ally together to stand against the unrighteousness of inequality and injustice toward people of color. They had their own front lines and they took the beatings and lynchings and murderings and water hoses and jails. They took all of that persecution, but it resulted in the relenting of, of unjust laws and the creating of policies that led to, to greater equality, at least on the, the legal side. It would take a while for culture to embrace it, but it was the church that did that. Not, the, not, the, not just the average Jays and Jones. The church led the movement that made it possible for me to be sitting here with you now, something that would have been illegal in my grandmother's day. 
So the first thing that I want to say is thank you to your parents and and grandparents and great-grandparents who paid the price so that I could be with you now. The second thing that I want to say is the church has experienced great blessing. We've come a long way and we've experienced extraordinary blessing, particularly in this nation. And blessing can be sometimes the greatest enemy of the church walking in the fullness of her calling. As we've paid more attention to the the blessings that the Lord has given us in friends and family and faith community and in in socioeconomic strength and living in a nation, particularly for you guys, where where you can pursue careers and pursue um, financial stability in some really uh, surer ways than in other nations where you can give attention to having the car that you've always wanted, that you can buy that plot of land, that you can marry that bride that the blessings of living in the United States can often lull us into a kind of apathy and draw us away from the places that we're called to stand on the front lines fighting for those who aren't able to uh, have uh, an on-ramp into those same liberties that you enjoy. And so in this season, in this past year, we've experienced the the social upheaval, we've experienced the upheaval of the church, we've experienced the racial upheaval, and that particular piece was highlighted when that boy George laid on that ground for over eight minutes calling for his mother who had already passed away. At that time, because of COVID, many of us who already, it's just okay to admit it, serious screen addictions, but now we were forced home and not allowed to go to to our jobs for, for so many of us. So our screen addiction turned up and we were paying attention more than at any other time. Um, to the things that were coming across our street screen that were building up this narrative of, hey, maybe there is something to this racism thing. And while there was still that dialogue of, uh, of grappling with this concept, looking at it and saying, uh, that, that's not happening. The things that we're seeing, that's because of something else. That has nothing to do with racism. There was this, this idea of just denying it exists or minimalizing it, saying, okay, that happened here or there, but that doesn't happen everywhere. America's not that kind of nation anymore, you know, or this, those are just ba- a few bad apples that are, you know, getting the storyline. And those Karens, I mean, that just happens here or there. They're just sort of collecting it together. And the list goes on as we, we try to push that back into the realm of that's margin, that's not reality. But eventually, there were enough people willing to consider that what if the people of color were telling the truth the whole time? What if when they were saying that they are on alert every time they walk out their front doors, what if they weren't exaggerating, but they were trying to communicate something about their reality, that although you might not have seen it, it can it could still be a true reality. What if it were true when they were talking about their treatment among police and in and, and interaction with law enforcement, interaction with the justice system, interaction with healthcare, interaction with trying to buy a home and, and get a loan, interaction in their neighborhoods, what it looks like to have to pay attention to what you wear and don't wear, what it means for, for for, for it to be an inconvenience 
means if the police stops you, but it'd be potentially lethal if the police stops up. What it means to have to tell our sons and daughters when they're about to get their license, okay, I got to give you the talk. I got to make sure you come home alive. We have to talk to them as we put them in ed- educational institutions where they're the minority and we have to give them the talk. Where we have to explain to them why they have to hide parts of themselves and, and press toward assimilation if they're going to make headway in the career that they've chosen and what it looks like to be able to do that and then come among their own and be their full selves and know that they'll be celebrated. These are strange conversations. Even to talk about with you now, I feel I'm telling you the secrets of my people, but I I am friends with pastors and political figures and poor folks alike, but I I am not friends with any black person that isn't on alert when he steps out his front door. In one form or another, having to pay attention in different ways. And when George died on the streets of Minneapolis, that cry of 2020, Lord, clarify our vision, that meant something. And because it had been a part of a buildup of so many videos and so many stories and so many narratives and the concept of Ahmaud Arbery was barely, you know, it it was still fresh. And then this, even in the middle of COVID, even though we were on lockdown, full lockdown in so many places, it seemed like so many people in the nation just took to the streets. Many of African Americans took to the streets and they let their, their anger and their lament, and even in places their rage, they just let it pour out into the streets. And it was incredibly messy, but there was nothing more for it as the outcry was simply, okay, this far and no further. And while it didn't begin with a ton of allyship for the non-people of color, still whites and blacks were together on those streets. And when it would build through the days and the weeks that were even more and more and more whites joining this cry than we had ever seen, and it gave us hope. Because it meant that your eyes, that the Lord was opening the eyes of those who, by every right of their blessing and where they sat, were afforded the privilege to not pay attention and to let this die down the way all the others had. Come on. Come on. I'm give permission on this one. Now, I'm with Believer's Church. I know that you guys are already forward thinking that you've been talking about this. You've been grappling with this a while. No matter where you land on the spectrum, I know this is already part of your conversation, that you are already people that that have a leaning toward doing right and making right in your world. I I get that this is is more like talking with family. But when, when George died, much like with the COVID, you could almost see the fingerprints of God endeavoring to leverage this movement that he it it almost was as if it wasn't enough to make america deal with and address not just present racism but the roots of racism embedded in the nation that it wasn't enough that he desired to have us if he could get us to take a look at it and pay attention to it to have have us address it in a way that he could shake its roots and its clinging to the earth 
and finally get the people of this nation to rightly address the great evil that was embedded in the birth of this nation, that the fruits of it, the lingering fruits of it are still here today. Now, I know that it is not, this is not the normal way that you would talk about revival. I know that is not a word that would come up when we're talking about issues of justice and dealing with uh, dealing with a history of racism, even concepts of of uh, nationalism. You don't think about that when you think about revival. But I feel like that this is what God is thinking about. That for so many of you that have been crying out for revival, crying out. God heal our land, which was the primary verse as soon as COVID hit, as soon as the churches started creating initiatives. Heal our land. We repent of the sins in our private lives, Lord. Heal our land. And I just I just imagine that God got to work setting the catalysts in motion, endeavoring to leverage what was going to happen in our not-too-distant future to answer that cry of heal our land and give us revival. And this is his way. All throughout scripture, when the people of God had gotten beside themselves with blessing, had gotten settled in, in the land that they were inhabiting, it had began to focus on too much on the marketplace and too much on what was in their bank accounts and too much on, you know, getting the, the, the worship services at the temple right and too much on their own blessings that the Lord himself provided. Uh, that they started to leave the places of justice, to leave the front lines of mercy and justice. They'd find themselves in idolatries and in apathies and not only vacating the place of justice, but marginalizing those who dwell there. And God would have to send a prophet, much like he did, say, in Isaiah 58, which I understand is very popular, um, particularly here in Charlotte. He'd have to send a prophet in this particular... How are we doing on time? You're good. And this particular prophet... (laughs) He came with this glorious message. I know that probably when you've heard it preached, you've heard it preached converse. But he came with this message to a, to a people of God. He came saying, you guys are awesome. And frankly, when he describes the church that he's come to preach to give this word to, it's a church that the churches should aspire to be like. He comes to them, he talks to them about how awesome they are, how they're at temple or church anytime the doors open, how these are people there just regularly inviting God to give them his counsel. You know, how do I make my business better? How do I make, you know, my wife, my marriage better? You know, how do I get my kids to behave? God, I want your input, you know, on how, you know, how do I get my fruit to grow grow higher? These people that, that he comes to, They've got some serious game. These are people who, I mean, they've got practice the spiritual disciplines level of game. They are people of prayer. They are people of fasting for Christ's sakes. I am a grouchy faster. You do not want to be around me when I fast. These people are fasting on a regular basis. And you know the reason why they're doing that? It's because they had heard the stories of how God moved heaven and earth to set 
those people free. He had heard the stories that their parents and grandparents had told them about a God who parts waters and makes pillars of fire and cloud and, and manna and slays giants and, and sets them in a land of fruitfulness. And this particular people group kept hearing those stories and they began to cry out for their version of revival. God, do it again. And so they were really in a season of leaning in at the temple, in the spiritual practices, fasting for God to bless them in the ways that they had, that they had heard about and the stories that they had read about that they were leaning in. God sent a prophet to send a rebuke to those people. And we are endeavoring to at least get to the level of being those people. They were in it. They were so in it that when they fasted, they were grouchy too. But when they fasted, they were like, God, we've been crying out for revival. You need to get on it. How come you're not moving? How come you're not responding? You know we're, we're going after it with everything we've got. How come you are not responding in the ways that merit the way, how we're leaning in? And that's when God sent the boy out to go talk to him. And the boy said, you guys are doing great. You're seeking the counsel of the Lord. You're asking for his input. You're, you're praying and fasting. You are, you are engaging in, in temple and community. He says, but the thing that you are asking for, I cannot give you. Because it's not enough to simply love God. You need to also love mercy and do justice. And he talked about how the blessing, the way that they had, they had fashioned the blessings of their life had, they had oriented their lifestyle to completely avoid and neglect going into any parts of town that involved the poor, the marginalized, the oppressed, the orphan, and the widow. They had, they had set up the trajectory of their lives and cocooned it in such a beautiful way while they were seeking the Lord so that they didn't have to see or pay any attention to the outcry on the margins they had forsaken their one of their primary callings to stand on the front lines of injustice and to make right it was to such a degree that they would rail and be mean to and avoid people who were in need god said i want to give you revival but the way that you're going to get it isn't by me sending you into your prayer closet. It's going to be by me sending you out into the streets to fight for the cause of the oppressed and the marginalized and the needy. And in this generation, this concept, this, this, this thing that has been highlighted of racism, of inequality, of the second command in the darkest places, this is your fight. This is one of the places that God is calling the church back to, to take her rightful place as efforts and instruments of justice, praying and working to make things right again. For such a time as this, God is calling the church out from her wonderful places of comfort, the comfort so much that the Lord himself has blessed the church with, and he is inviting her to join these twin fights to eradicate racism and to, and to separate itself, um, to repent and separate 
this concept of nationalism from the gospel again. And so while these are very hard and challenging times, there is a clarion call coming to the church to take her place that these could be some of the most glorious times. But even if they're not, revival is on the back end of this. Just like with the people of Israel, he said, I- I'm going to bring revival, but I, in order for you to get to it, you're going to have to go through the darkest, muddiest, messiest places that you have specifically set up your lifestyle to avoid. If I were God, I'd have sent them into their prayer closet, loving and worshiping Jesus and get the, you know, more of getting their hearts right. And that makes more sense to me. But the kind of revival they were crying out for wasn't going to come like that. And the kind of revival that we've been crying out for and that our parents and parents' parents have been crying out for, that next great awakening is, is more than a brilliant worship service that lasts for weeks and months. It's the kind of revival that shifts culture. It's a sustainable revival that blesses the poor and the marginalized and the broken. And while it is blessing those that that the people who are conduits for that are learning how much those on the margins have to teach you. It is mutual transformation. It is a changing of the reputation of the church from being those judgmental people focused on themselves to those people who are repairers of the breaches, restorers. They're people of reconciliation. They are people of that level of revival that changes the reputation of the body of Christ in mass. Now that's the kind of revival you really need, even more than times of refreshing in the presence of the Lord. I'm just saying it. That's more useful revival than what we had before. (laughs) I'm going to stop talking now. Well, if you're like me, you need to just take a breath. Because, no, I I think there's something profoundly prophetic happening in this moment. And so, actually, I'm just going to call an audible here. Because we had questions that you're already answering anyway. But let's just sit in this for a minute. Let's just exercise our pause that we've been learning to hear the Holy Spirit. So we say, come, Holy Spirit. You have freedom to address whatever it is you want to because you are scheming for our good. And not just our good, the good of others. this moment, I'm going to lead us in a little exercise because we're about to take communion. Where Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that the way to remember that God has done everything necessary through Jesus to forgive us of our sins. To take upon Himself the punishment and consequence of our sin and rejection. 
Jesus put it in his own body. He took it. And so his body was broken. He was the Passover lamb that Israel experienced so that death wouldn't come on them. They could have life. Paul says the way to engage this, he says, to examine yourself. Guys, this is, a, this is like a good basketball practice. You're not coming to practice just to be affirmed at my jump shot. Sometimes we've got to run some wind sprints. We've got to lift some weights because there's parts of us that need stretching and growing if we're to be who God is dreaming us to be. So could we pray this prayer just silently to ourselves? The words of Psalm 139. God, search me. Know me. Know my anxious thoughts. And see if there be any way in me that's not in alignment with your kingdom. Let's just sit there. Because he wants to lead us in the everlasting life. But if he calls us to repent, let's just do it. He wants to forgive us. He's the only one who can make this stuff right. I mean, I'm sitting here repenting as, she, as Lisa's talking. So let's just take a moment. And then we're going to take the body and the blood of our Lord. Search us. night that Jesus was betrayed he sat with his guys Jesus just about to go into the worst injustice it is the worst injustice that's happened in history the innocent and holy one killed for the sake of others he said to his his buddies this this thing is my body this bread is my body and so you'll see on your tables we've got the porta communion if you want to, it should be in that center little deal in a Ziploc bag, I think. It's not the most uh, convenient or artistic version, but it will do. So you pull that little thing off the top. There's a wafer stuck in there, and then there's juice there. So Jesus said, this body is my body broken for you. This blood represented in this cup is my blood poured out for you. And here's the key thing. He said, do this. It's one of the clearest commands Jesus gave us. Do this to remember me until the Lord returns. So in other words, it's that walking in that cross moment that the cross is always available to us. Always have access to, for God to forgive us and make everything okay between us and Him. There's two terrible and equally unhelpful responses 
to racism or anything we've done wrong. The one is to say, no, I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. I'm not wrong. And try to bargain with God that there's nothing going on. The equally terrible response is self-rejection and self-hatred. Neither are the gospel. Neither one. The only way through is Jesus. Jesus knows I've done things wrong that I didn't even know I was doing wrong. And instead of arguing about it, I just get to say, oh, Jesus, will you forgive me? He's like, yes. Yes, I couldn't wait. This is what I went to all this pain and suffering for, was to forgive you and make things right. Because resurrection is coming. The kingdom of God is coming. Jesus is setting all things right, both in the future and right now through us. So this is what we're experiencing. So let's just take that body together right now and receive the healing of our Lord for everything about us. receive the blood of our Lord Jesus, His life for ours. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. There's no voice, demonic or fleshly, that can argue with what Jesus has done for you at the cross. You repent, you are forgiven. Everything's okay. We don't have to revisit, revisit, revisit. You are forgiven. We receive your forgiveness. today, but if you, if you feel the courage to do it, I'd like you to. Could we say to the Lord, you have permission to go anywhere you want to in me and in us to transform us. You have permission to go anywhere you want to in me or in us, knowing that likely that will be uncomfortable but that he's scheming for our good. I'm going to go ahead and raise my hand because I don't know what else to do with myself. I'm too far in with Jesus. I'm too far in. I, 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 I don't like where he's taken me a lot of times. I'll be honest with you. But I've tasted him. I've seen that he's good. I've seen that I wait on him long enough. He was doing something better than I even thought. And he's bringing my friends along with me. Let's stand together. Lisa, would you pray over us?
as a benediction to our time together. I'd just be so grateful for that. Father in heaven, I ask for the blessing of discomfort to fall on your people. They would not run from the uncomfortable places that you desire to take them, but that you would help them keep their eyes on the hope set before them, which is beyond the discomfort and into places of redemption and restoration and revival. Give them a spirit of perseverance to be in it well, to be in it in a manner that reflects your heart. Give them the heart of an apprentice to want to learn and understand. And give them the shield that would protect them from the fiery darts of the wicked one, that would call them away from the front lines, away and apart from their calling, and to set in quiet place and set it out rather arm them with the shield and the sword and the grace to advocate and ally for those who don't yet know Jesus and for those who are on the margins of our society. Open our hearts wide to receive the presence of marginalized people into it. For this is the way to revival. Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray over Lisa real quick. Father, we thank you for this gift. The gift to our body, the gift to the body of Jesus. Lord, I think of the words you gave to Joshua, to be bold and courageous, not to be Afraid or discouraged. Why? Because I'm with you. Affirm, Lisa, in your withness. May our presence affirm your withness. Protect her, Lord, as she walks these prophetic and perilous waters. We say, Lord, we are with her. We receive her. We love our sister. Your grace be upon her. Through Jesus our Lord, we pray. Amen and amen. Can we thank Lisa for being with us today? If you guys want more resources or help practically how to kind of flesh some of this out, um, one of the prayer initiatives in 24-7 prayer is, uh, we call it Race and Grace Mondays. Lisa, can you direct them how to be a part of that if they want? Yes, if any of you are looking for a practical next step, next step to take, treat prayer as your first uh, place of activism. We are wanting um, Mondays to be National Day for Praying for Racial Righteousness. 
and we're inviting all of the, every follower of Christ in the United States, and especially those who are here, to be willing to commandeer Mondays as the day that you lift up prayers for issues of racial equity, reconciliation, and for the eradication of racism in your nation. Whether you pray short prayers at the stoplight or whether you pray long prayers in your intercessory closet, that you would consecrate space on Mondays to join with other believers in the body of Christ and pray for the eradication of racism. If you want themes and information, go to raceandgrace.us um, race or the 247prayer.com website. But even if you don't go there, Mondays is what we're claiming as days to join together for the eradication of racism. Come on, let's do it. Guys, love you. Have a wonderful week.